Genesis 14, verse 18. Melchizedek is the mystery man of the scriptures. Um, he's only talked about here and in Psalm, the Psalms once and then in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. The book, the, but he's talked about a great deal in Talmud. The Talmud says that Melchizedek was Shem, the survivor of the flood, Noah's son who the promise came through. Um, but it doesn't wash when you compare it to what Hebrews says. But the ancient, almost all ancient traditions with regard to Melchizedek say he was Shem. And we'll look into that and look into what other cultures say about Melchizedek. But let's read it first. To start in verse 13. And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshal and brother of Aner, these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Chedorlaomer, and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eshol, and Mamre, let them take their portion. Okay. What does all that mean? Abram defeated the five kings that had sacked Sodom, and, and tradition says they also sacked Gomorrah and the five cities of the Vale, which were this. There were, there were this, again, as I told you before, this was the, allegedly the most beautiful area of the world, and was on a trading route, and so there are all kinds of merchants and stuff in here. That which is now the Dead Sea. But Abram gave back all of the spoils that the five kings had taken, and then he refused to take anything for himself. The only thing he did is he gave a tenth of it to Melchizedek. Now, the question is that troubles people throughout the throughout Bible studies is who is Melchizedek. The word Melchizedek is the Hebrew word Malachi Zedek, which means Malachi is means king or sovereign, 
and Zedek means right or equity. And king of Salem, Salem is the word that is generally ascribed to be Jerusalem. Jeru Salem. But Shalem or Salem means to be completed, to be perfected, to be safe, to be finished, to be at total peace. But it means to be at total peace under every possible test that you could con 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 conceive of. There is no thing that could come against you that you wouldn't be at peace. So let's look and see who, who, let's see if we can see who Melchizedek was. It's Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, <clears throat> till I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be, a, shall be willing in the day of thy power, and the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now this is this scripture uh, was quoted in Matthew because if if it was David that said they, they were thinking this psalm ascribed to David but well let's look at it Matthew 22 verse 44. Start in verse 41. Read it, John. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David then called him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Do you understand the, the theological significance of that argument? They, the, the word Christ there was saying what you think of Christ. It means what you think of Messiah. Every, the whole structure of, of Judaism at that time was expecting a Messiah. In fact, during and around the time of Christ, there were 400 people, 400 different people that presented themselves as Messiah. 400 during the, say, 50 years before and after Christ's birth and death. Everything in nature, by all of the signs of the Old Testament pointed to this being the time of the Messiah. 
there's a scripture, you remember when he entered the, when he entered the, during the, just before he was crucified, he entered the city of Jerusalem riding on the colt of an ass. Well, the reason he did that is, is that their ancient targeting of the scripture said that when Messiah comes, if Messiah is happy with the lot of Israel, he will come in the clouds. If Messiah is furious at Israel, he will come riding on the colt of an ass. Well, that's one of the reasons they crucified him. But my point is, is that everybody was expecting a Messiah, and so therefore, anybody, everybody was trying to be the Messiah. Four hundred of them. And so the question that these Pharisees asked him, saying, what think ye, when Jesus asked the Pharisees, what think ye of Messiah? Who is he? Whose son is he? In their theology, they said Messiah was the son of David. So Jesus said, then how did David write, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou in my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is his son? How is he his son? David called the Messiah Lord, and yet David called, I mean, the, the, the Pharisees said that, and everything in the tradition says that the Messiah comes from the seed of David. Now then, and it ties in, as we'll see, in the rest of Psalm 110, it says, that same person thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Psalm 110 ties Messiah and the expectations of Messiah to Melchizedek. Now let's go to Hebrews, Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith in another place also, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. And though he were a son, yet, le yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now remember that word perfect. The word perfect in the Hebrew and in the Greek doesn't mean what we think of perfect. Somehow in English, when we think of perfect, we think of something that is whap and it's perfect. It's a perfect diamond. It's a perfect something. It's a but the word perfect means something that has passed the test. It's something that has passed all possible tests. 
it's the, it's the, in the Greek it's the word teleos. And to be king of Salem means to be at peace, total peace, total and complete peace, not because there's nothing to um, make you upset, which is what your mind wants, but to be totally at peace in spite of or in, in the midst of no matter what is happening. Now that's what all of the scriptures about Melchizedek have to do with. He is king of Salem, Jerusalem. Jerusalem of the natural is never intended. It can't be. It's, it's the thing which is in bondage because it's of the nature. It's, of the, it's sensory. The Jerusalem of the spirit which is now is here amongst us is only here when you enter into that peace in spite of anything that's surrounding you. Then you are living in the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and Melchizedek has always been there. So Melchizedek, well, let's look at it. And let's look at Hebrews 7. We'll see it a little clearer. I want you to just notice, though, notice in, 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 in chapter 5 of Hebrews, we stopped it. He's, in verse 10 it says, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's stop there a moment on this order. The word, in, in, the, in the temple there were 24 orders of priests. There were 24 different, an order just means... Um, like, like now, we have the Jesuits as an order, and the, you know, they're the Catholic guys around here, you know about Jesuits. And they're different orders. But in the temple, there were 24 orders of priests. They were all of the main order of Aaron, who was the first high priest, Moses' brother. But God is saying, all of that is something else. That's just a, an architect's model because the real priest is after the order of Melchizedek. And he said it in the law. So that in itself should have given them something, an indication that something else was going on besides the priesthood. Now, Paul, if we believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, after he says this, says this to the people. He says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when, for when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now the reason he said that is, is because they were yet carnal. Anytime you see somebody saying and talking about the Word of God being used as milk, it's because they are yet carnal and therefore they make judgments based on sensory perception. And therefore, just as a small child is still a suckling child, he's still getting his sustenance from somebody else, and some of you are still getting your sustenance from me as a teacher. Paul is chewing them out. The reason he's chewing them out is because he wants them to see that you cannot understand this stuff, you cannot understand Melchizedek until you have been pulled away from the breast 
have understood the meaning of being tested so that you can begin to glory in tribulation so that no thing coming against you that is sensory perceived can upset your peace because your true <coughs> residence is with Melchizedek in Jerusalem, the place where peace exists because you're fully tested. Capish? God doesn't give a flip about your little problems. He wants you at peace in the midst of the problems. And the only way you can do that is become, by becoming one who sees through everything to see the perfect hand of God. Now let's see what else he says about this mystery man, Melchizedek, Hebrews 7. Well, starting 6. Verse 13. We're going to read 6, 13 through 7, 10. Read it and then we'll talk about it. Read it here. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained that, the promise. Stop a minute. After he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Endured what? He hung around knowing that God was his anchor. But no, nothing, 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 nothing could change that. Okay. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Okay. The only time you will flee, fled, I can talk. The only time you will flee for refuge is when you're in trouble. Now, that's why when we get here in, 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 the, in, the, in the other group in a little bit, we'll start studying the cities of refuge. There were six cities of refuge in which if you had been a bad boy, you could flee to the city of refuge. And in this city of refuge, the blood oaths and the, all of the other parts of the law were immutable. They, they, you, couldn't, they, you couldn't be touched. Now that's the type of the church to the world. The church or the body is a place of refuge for those of you in trouble. That's where it starts. But then you end up in Jerusalem, which is the altar, which is the place of sacrifice. But that process has to start. It has to, you first have to be in trouble, you flee to a city of refuge, 
then the city of refuge or sanctuary is transformed to become the place of sacrifice. But if in the midst of the city of refuge you decide to leave, then you're no longer in the city of refuge. Okay. Which hope we have is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. That within the veil is the holy is the holy place, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant, the mercy seat. The veil is your flesh. Your flesh is torn. Now sit on that mercy seat. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay, now we're going to see about this Melchizedek guy. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he received them of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Amen. So we see that Melchizedek was Christ. Not Jesus Christ, but Christ. He was, he was the Son of God. He was the form of God <clears throat> who took on for a time the shape of man. And he had to do this for one singular reason, because he had to start this process, i.e. the seed of Abraham, so that the seed of Abraham could be the child of the promise. In order for that process to start, he had to feed him communion. He had to take the communion. So Melchizedek met Abram, Abram paid him tithes, and then Melchizedek fed him the bread and the wine. And when he blessed him in the feeding of the bread and the wine, he said the same thing that Jews have said ever since. And he said the same thing that you and I say every Sunday night when we do the communion. He gave him the bread and he broke it and he said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth, who bringeth forth the bread of life from your earthen vessel. That was completed in Abraham. And then he said, he took the wine and he gave thanks and said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who createst the fruit of the vine. 
who then sees that the wine is the completed act, the life, the, 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 the blood, the bride, and all the other symbolisms. But my point to you is that Abraham knew the gospel far better than you and I know it. And yet it was 2,000 years before Christ. Because he was met and fed by Christ in the form of Melchizedek. And as soon as he did this, Abram's name was changed from Abram to Abraham. Sarah's name was, or Sari's name was changed from Sari to Sarah. Same, the same, the same. And what? Now is Abraham then the first man since Adam to receive eternal life? That's not our business. Well, what? Remember? Remember when Cain and Abel? God asked Cain why his countenance was fallen. He said, don't you know the sin offering always lieth at the door? Don't you know the bread and the wine? The blood always says that the, the, the body and the bread is always, I mean the body and the, and the blood is always at the door. Now, I've told you, we've talked about it briefly, but in the book of Vedas in India, in, in the ancient um, historicity of, of Egypt and in other cultures, there's always a Melchizedek character. And for a brief period of time, for a brief moment in the window of time, that people become monotheistic. But then they do what every man is does, what everybody does all the time, is then they begin to ascribe the name of God to their own idolatry. In that instance, they lose the blessing because it's no longer faith. They ascribe the name of God to their own efforts. They ascribe the name of God to their own images, their own ideas, their own opinions, their own value systems. And at that moment, they're just all they're, all they're doing is falling back into the lap of the Antichrist. But my point to you is that Scripture shows that this is the vehicle by which Melchizedek, or Christ, fed communion to Abraham. And by that, by that eating of the wine and the bread, he became the father of faith. That's why he is the patriarch. That's why he is the model Christian. That's why he's your example. No matter how many times he screwed up, no matter how many times he went back and didn't stay when the famine came, when he sold his wife, he's, he's going to sell his wife again. But he still, by the one singular act of taking communion with understanding, then he is the father of faith because he, is, he sees that it's God that both wills it and does it in him. And so you rest. You rest. No matter what condition you're in, you rest. There is absolutely no excuse to be anxious. All that anxiety is is unbelief.
And there's no, there's no excuse for it. And somebody will say, well, you don't understand what problems I have. Well, yes, it doesn't matter. Not one iota, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. But do you see the tie-in between Jerusalem, Melchizedek, Christ, David, feeding the bread and the wine? Now let's go, let's, let's see it again. This is, in, a, in essence, from the scripture, once Abraham, once Melchizedek fed Abraham the bread and the wine, then Melchizedek disappeared. Now let's go to Luke 24. One more question. What's the difference between Melchizedek and, and previous to this taking place, the angel of the Lord has appeared, the Lord has appeared? What's the difference between them? No difference. Just crystallized here because of Abraham's response to it. <clears throat> Every time you see the angel of the Lord, that is the same person. It's, Mel it's Christ. Because it's the singular, when it talks in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. You can follow him through, you can follow him from the beginning, all through the Old Testament. It's always Christ. But, but you see, if Christ only did that, this modern Christianity only takes religion till Melchizedek. Because they still think of Melchizedek as external to them. He's somebody you pray to. Christ is somebody you pray to to get <coughs> stuff or to solve your problems or to, you know, he's an external, he's duality. And as long as he's duality, then you're still in Egypt. You're still outside of the promise. But when he is internalized, the word became flesh, he became a little baby. He became... He, I mean, can you imagine? We, we were sitting here last night and we looked at the Duncan's little baby and, and he, I mean, he's, he can't do anything. He just sort of... But Jesus was in that position. The God of this whole universe emptied himself <coughs> and became that child. Why? Why did he do that? So the way would be complete. So your warfare would be complete. Okay, Luke 24. But remember, Melchizedek disappeared after he fed him. Luke 24, verse... Uh, Well, I mean, we can, you can read the whole chapter, it's fascinating, but these two guys that were disciples, and I'm sure one of them was Luke, the doctor, they're walking to Emmaus, and all of a sudden this other guy comes along and starts walking with them, and they don't recognize him. They don't have any idea who he is. And he said, what's, and they're, and they're all bent out of shape and all troubled, and, and they don't know who he is, and let's start in verse 17. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are so sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
Now no, notice, they don't call him Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ. They're two unbelievers. They're two men that have been walking with Christ for three years, seeing all his miracles. They're just as bad as Abraham. They're just as bad as you. They have no idea who this man is that's walking with them. And they also they call they and, and so they talk and they, they don't think Christ is anything except he's Jesus of Nazareth. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him, but we trusted that it had that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel, i.e., we thought he was the Messiah. And besides all that, today is the third day since those things were done. They still think maybe he's going to, you know, because he said he'd rise in the third day. But they don't believe it. Yes, and certain women also of our company were made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even as so as the women had said but him they found not or saw not and he said unto them O fools why do you say O fools because they were again judging by sensory perception O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded, and where it says beginning at Moses, what it means when it says beginning at Moses, it's the Torah. That's the only thing that these people considered scripture. But the prophets were an expansion on the tale. So beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made us, though he would have gone farther, but they commanded God concerning his sons. They made him stay. Do you understand that? Christ is going to walk on by you unless you say, hey, wait a minute, come here. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them and their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight and they said one to another did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures Melchizedek has just fed him again no one of these two men became Luke what is Luke? He was a Greek. And he wrote this book by which you can believe, by which you can see. He wrote the book of Acts by which you can see. And he and a small group of other people turned the world upside down. Why? Because Jesus vanished from his sight. Because they knew him. Where did he vanish to? The Ark of the Covenant vanished vanished within them and they knew who they were same thing happened to Abraham no longer Abram but now Abraham 
Now let's go to 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of God, or terror of the Lord, we persuade men. See, that's half the problem. Remember it says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? Most of you have no concept of the terror of God. When you open your eyes and look outside, you think, oh, that's pretty, that's nice. I'm going to go out there and play in the streets. I'm going to go out there... But when God sees you go out there and you give breath to that which is out there, God sees you're going out into the midst of a burning, hottest fire you can believe. You're Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. But we, make, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory in our behalf that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. That means crazy, by the way. Up. If somebody thinks you're crazy, you're God's crazy person. Whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Whether we be sober, it is for your cause. If you're, if you're, if you're normal, according to God, you live only to manifest somebody else. You live only to meet someone else's need. You live only to, for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. The human race died on the cross, so why give it breath anymore? And, he, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. We no longer look after the flesh. We no longer judge by sensory perception. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, Yet now henceforth know we him no more. Same thing happened to Melchizedek. Same thing happened to Luke. As long as, you, you, as long as you're judging people after the flesh, then you'll be a weak, impotent, without, you, you mean... The only thing you can do is flood. You, you, can, you can flee to the, to the city of refuge. Okay. Let's go to 18, back to Exodus 14, 18. Why did he pay him tithes? Why did Abraham give tithes to Melchizedek? 
Only one way he could have. It's because he knew who he was. Abraham recognized that thing that we teach here, that all men always pay tithes. You pay your tithes to your chief God. So this was an expression of obedience. He didn't want to tithe to his old gods anymore. Let's look at let's look at something and see. Verse 18 of Genesis 14. No, 1418. An interesting word. Says in Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. <clears throat> now that word um, it almost has a meaning of ex nihilo. I mean, it's it's he it, 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 it's the Hebrew word yatsa, and it means. To come out of something or to go forth from something, but it has it's a, it's a mystical word, and it's applied. Uh, it's 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 the basis of the New Testament theology, which says that God is His own strength. It's like the word is used. Uh, in, in Exodus, when he says, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt," and it was he was brought out miraculously. Egypt, I mean, I mean, it was it's a miraculous thing. It's it's it has the implication of when you're brought when something is brought forth. As I said, it, it, it has the implication of, of of there was no bread or wine, and it came forth. It, in 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 Egypt, there was no way that they were going to be led out of Egypt, but they were let out of Egypt. They were yatsa. Uh, it's, it's the word that's used under the law. Um, the slaves were freed on the year of Jubilee. Under the, and so the slaves were brought yatsa. They were, I mean, it was an automatic. Under the law, all property reverted to its rightful owner in the year of Jubilee. It was yatsa. Do you, do you understand this, the thing? Part of the implication is that nothing else could happen. That's right. It must happen. Right. It has to happen. Now, let's go to Isaiah 45 a minute.
No, we first have to go to Isaiah 55. Starting in verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That doesn't mean, and we've talked about this, but it doesn't mean that the wicked man is to forsake his wicked way. It means that man is to forsake his way, which is wicked. And it doesn't mean that the wicked man is to stop thinking about evil things. It means that, you're, that, that all of your thoughts are unrighteous and you're supposed to stop giving them breath. And the reason is, it goes on. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not there, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereinto I sent it. It shall accomplish is the same concept. I mean, it's, it will yatsa what it's there for. And this doesn't talk about this word. It's talking about the word of God, which is Christ in you. It shall accomplish, it shall bring forth, it shall exactly what it's supposed to accomplish. Okay? Now, Isaiah 45, the same kind of thing. Verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. I mean, do you understand? Nothing else can happen until you're out of Egypt. If you're still in Egypt, God's only going to destroy your butt. But when you see that it, there's nothing in Egypt, then God's going to say to you, He's going to start dealing with you, you that are escaped from the nations. Yatsa can't happen while you're in Egypt. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell me, and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior, there is none beside me? Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the, of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself that the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. Now, the word has gone out, it has yatsad, it 
then that's it's the it's the same word. You understand the concept. In other words, it's the automatic of another action. Did you did you live? Is it also? Is it like the dynamic of the of the seed spring coming forth that it can't be? It can't. Yeah. Stop. Right. But but it's not like we think about it. You know, when I when I talk about these things, then what our minds do is they automatically apply to uh, to the Gentile way of thinking, and we say, okay, that means I'm automatically going to get this. Or, but you have to understand it that it it means the kenosis, the emptying. Though he it, it's it's let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, thought it not something to be grasped, to be equal to God, i.e., judge good and evil, get, you know, but emptied himself, made himself of no reputation. The, the, the fruit of yatsa is kenosis, is emptying. It's, it's, it's the automatic of, of the, when the dam breaks, this shall happen. It's not, okay, yatsa, and I'm going to get stuff. You'll get stuff, but you'll be the, it won't, I mean, it's the exact, it's my ways are not your ways, your thoughts, my thoughts are not your thoughts. It's the emptying of all that the, pro, in which, that's, that's the environment, that's the good ground in which the seed does its work. And it says, if it fall, the seed falling into the ground with understanding, it shall bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100. Now, that's, if you plant one grain of seed, that seed itself has to, yatsa, it has to be emptied. From that, the germ of life brings forth a stalk. On some stalks is 30, on some stalks is 60, and some stalks is 100. Well, that's that's the fruit of, of of the of the process. The seed will bring forth that fruit. Well, it's it, the point is, is it will not be left. Um, it will not be. It will not be left. You know, except a kernel of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And that, and the, and the fruit that it's talking about is some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred. So this is the dynamic that was in operation each time Christ, quote, performed miracles. Right. It was he, the emptying. He when he healed, when he felt virtue go out from him, he was just the conduit that. Right. That. So Melchizedek, in this case, is just the He's conduit that allows the, the bread and wine to, to bring come into this room. Right. He, and that's the same in here. When communion is real, then, then, it's 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 that's all it is. It's the it's the act of fellowship, which is the act of emptying self, which is the act of communion, discerning the Lord's body, discerning His blood. 
but it's always then you become the broken bread and poured out wine. But it isn't an act of sacrifice in the normal way of thinking about it. It's all it can. It's all the thing can do. But but this is the reason we're, we're going through this whole process. Is this what this word yatsa is a mystical word in the Hebrew? And it, it, it's, it really, it almost means ex nihilo. It means bringing forth something out of nothing. It means that, that we, we take something which didn't exist and it exists by the act of yatsa. There's no, there's no real way, there's no word to describe this, to bring forth in English. I mean, the English language has a poverty, I mean, you can't do it. Because the English language permits seeing a black, the Hebrew language doesn't permit seeing the black in that context. Because if there is ever lack, then yatsa takes place. It's also interesting that according to the Talmud, he brought forth the bread and the wine and gave it to Abraham and his trained men. He had, remember, he had 318 trained men who had been born in his household. These 318 men were the were the where's army that defeated the five kings. Well, he, he, the, the word "trained" there is the is the Hebrew word "hanak," which means it's where we get the English word "disciple." And it's where the, the proverb says, train up a child in the way he shall go, and the latter day he will not depart from it. Well, that child that was being trained up has nothing to do with your little kids, or you when you were a little kid. The child that was trained up in the way he should go, and then the latter day he will not depart from it, is Christ. He can't depart from the way, and it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay? So Melchizedek, according to the Talmud, gave the bread and the wine not just to Abraham, but he also gave it, gave it to his disciples, the same way Christ did with his disciples. And so Melchizedek gave or presented the first Lord's Supper. Let me read what Josephus says about this. Now the king of Sodom met him at a certain place, which they called the King's Dale, where Melchizedek, king of the city, Salem, received him. That name signifies righteous king, and such he was without dispute, insomuch that on his account he was made the priest of God. However, they afterward called Salem, Jerusalem, and now this Melchizedek supplied Abram's army in a hospitable manner. And gave this sounds like the Living Bible rendition of this, and gave them provisions in abundance. And as they were feast, feasting, he began to praise him and to bless God for subduing his enemies under him. And when Abraham gave him the tenth part of his prey, he accepted the gift. Okay. Okay, in verse 18, it also talks about, for the first time, the word priest. This is the first time it's the word has been used in the scriptures. The word priest is the Hebrew word Kohen. What is it? Kohen. Kohen. C-O-H-E-N. Kohen. I know. 
Well, there's a lot of Cohens. A whole lot of the Khazars took the name Cohen when they moved. Uh, everybody wants to, because they want to, they either took the word Levi or Cohen. So if you meet Levi Cohen, you know. You're right. You got, you got a real guy. But, I mean, the point is, the bloodline is gone. It was gone a thousand A.D. <laughs> There's no more Cohens or priests or Levi's, but it's interesting that modern Judaism just, you know, they change their name to make Cohen. So. But anyway. The word Cohen in the Hebrew means a minister for sacrifice. It means it, it, he, he, all, all, a minister, all of the priest is is someone who helps you get your throat cut. Present yourself a living sacrifice. Now, and also in the New Testament, the Greek word, the Greek word for minister or priest or whatever, is is the word that means slave or servant. So if if I'm your minister, I'm your bond servant. But don't take that too far. <laughs> is that a quick way of death to have your throat cut? Right, because what it does is it. I mean, in in the reason they do that is. Is uh, according to the reason you get your throat cut for two reasons. One is that it's 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 a the, the knife is a sacrifice. It's a sacrificial knife which is uh, two-edged, and it and it and it it's just whap, it really it's really quick. It's real sharp. But the reason that they that's the only kosher way to to kill an animal. Is because in killing the animal by that method, the the adrenals aren't deposited into the bloodstream, and so that the all of the the, the adrenals are that which causes anxiety, because you're you're getting ready to run or getting ready to kill or you know when you get all tense and excited and, and so when they cut when they cut the throat it doesn't it, they do it at just the right point where the adrenals aren't released into the bloodstream. And that's why it says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The purpose of this word here is to cut your throat. People don't understand that. But I mean, it's interesting that, that that's what this book is. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any sacrificial knife. Dividing asunder even to the point where soul and spirit meet, and 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 and, and, and bone and marrow. I mean, that's that's why we do this. And that's and again, that's an interesting contrast because most people say that you do it to get light. Now you do it to get death. Somehow, this reminds me of what something you said about six months ago about that which I would. That which I sought to apprehend, Amen. It's interesting also to note that Abraham wasn't a Jew. He was not circumcised. Was not. How could he be a Jew? There wasn't any.
by definition then, Melchizedek had to be a Gentile. That's like that this 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 argument. When you get into discussions with rabbis, they go crazy over this one. About you know the the promise was made before the law, the promise was made without circumcision, the promise was made to a Gentile. You know. And so therefore, the, the, now we can see the law had another function. The law wasn't to bring life. The law was to show something. Anyway. Now before the priest concept, the head of the family was the priest. The head of the family made the sacrifice. You see this with Noah and Job and many other places in Gen early in, in the earlier parts of Genesis. But it was the head of the family that acted in the, in, the, in the office of the priest. But now a priesthood is being established, beginning to be established. Okay. One of the interesting things when you study uh, ancient societies and ancient things in college is that they always, when you get to the religious part of it, they always say that 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 polytheism was the first that that. In every society, the polytheistic uh, many gods were were uh, the first, and then they slowly ascended to monotheism. But that's wrong. It's the same way they think that man is progressing. You understand? That everybody has to think that we're getting better so secretly. But I, I mean, the opposite is true. Man began in a monotheistic position. Then what happened is, is man began to ascribe the name of God to their idolatry. Why? So that, I mean, it's part of this mystery, the test, the teleos, the perfection. So that you have to, you have to start out in a monotheistic religion. A little kid only can think about one God. I mean, we have more fun with those little kids in the group. I mean. There's just one God. They're, they don't think about there's a whole bunch of gods, and it just blows them away when you start talking about Satan. I mean, they get that confuses the end of that confuses them to no end. There's just one God, but then you begin to ascribe the name of your God, the name of God, to your idolatry, and that's okay because then it, you have to see that all those gods fail, and then you return back to the one God, and that's. That's the position. We start in, that's the one God is innocence. Polytheism is, is sophistication. Return to the child, one God. Except you become as the little child. And that's what the process that we go through. It's, it's not, it's, it's actually, we, we de, it's devolution to, to, uh, to return to what we were at the first point. That's why the meaning of born again the word born again means existent from the first estate. It means you were there at the beginning. 
before anything else. You were there at the foundation of the world. You were there where your only awareness was God. Okay, a figure, like a Melchizedek figure, appeared to the, uh, the uh, Pharaoh Ach Achanaton. Uh, and again, for a brief, for a brief period, there was monotheism in Egypt, and also about this time, the the Vedic scriptures hint the same thing. And as I said before, both cases there was monotheism for a short time. At the same time that Melchizedek occurred. To about the same. I mean, it's impossible to say, but I mean, about the same time. What, what would be the purpose of that? Well, God's justice. Show that that I mean his his justice was to all cultures, to all people, to all. Now, also, the, verse eighteen is is really a neat dealing. The Most High God, and in the Hebrew, it's El Elyon, and it's the first time this is this name for God has been used. And it means that God is the first cause of everything. I mean, there's no thing that can take place in which God isn't the first cause. Now that, that is by definition the meaning of monotheism. That was really Melchizedek's key function. I am the Lord, there is none else, there is no God beside me. I form the light, I create darkness, I make peace, I create evil, I, the Lord, do all these things. I am the first cause. But do you, you see how that's so endemic or so important to the understanding of what... If you don't understand that, then you'll get all confused every time that something doesn't go the way you think it should. If you don't see that God is the first cause of all, then every time you think... Then every time something goes wrong, you'll think either God's punishing you, or God's out to get you, or as Chris says, God's going to screw me. You know what I mean? Or Pam thinks God's going to punish her. You, you, end up, you end up with a convoluted view. But if you know that your purpose is to be tested, that all is simply the chastisement, the training up, the schoolmaster to bring us to perfection and perfection isn't something that you can think about even you when you know I, you know the trip I put everybody on where I said be ye perfect even as your Heavenly Father is perfect that's the only, you have to be perfect God's demand is perfection well I can really put you in a trip unless you understand the meaning of perfection is to be fully tested then you will glory in tribulation then you will then tribulation will do its work, which is what? Steadfast endurance. Then it'll do, steadfast endurance will do its work, which is what? Experience, which is tried integrity. You know, then nothing, then you'll be as Melchizedek in Salem. Nothing can affect your peace. Peace. Okay, then also in verse 8, it's the first instance of praising God in the scriptures. Because when you begin to see this, then you can praise God. But when you go, you know, I, 
you know, you go to church and you sit around and praise God and say, Hallelujah, brother, praise God. But praise, if, if there's no repentance, then praise is nothing. They used to say that praise without repentance is like fire without heat. But there can be no true praise from God's standpoint without this recognition of El Elyon, the first cause of all things. Otherwise, it'll be conditional praise. And conditional praise is as if there is no praise. If you praise God when things are going well, and you, you, you pout and feel badly when things are going bad by your sensory perception, then you're, you're, you, you're, you're not in the flow. You're in the opposite direction of what things are happening. And you don't praise God so that things can get better. That's not the issue. You're in a new, you know, that's like trying to compare, you know, I don't know, that's, like, that's, that's comparing the law to grace. It can't be done. judging good and evil. All right. <clears throat> okay, then, this is it's also the first time that, that the concept of tithes is, is used in the scripture. It's the first time it, it's the, the word hand, meaning the open hand, it's yod, the word, Hebrew has a different word for hand, and it's different if, a, if you don't, I mean, sort of like fist and hand, but when they say this word hand, it's yod, which means open hand, and it's always the condition of prayer. The condition of prayer is never, you know, folded your hands together and on your knees. That's not the way prayer is. The condition of prayer is a son expecting with open hands standing before the full source. I mean, this is a dumb way to pray with your hands folded. I mean, that's, I mean that would, you'd have been stoned if you did that in the temple times. Oh, pray. You know, the idea, of, I, I guarantee you there are no folded hands in the temple. It's open hands to receive. Let's look at some other things. Well, if you were taking notes, I'd go through in all the scriptures and the Psalms and in the Minor Prophets and the New Testament to, to show you that Melchizedek was Christ, but I'm not going to do that because you believe me. Now, in verse 20, it says Abraham gave... tithes of all. I want you to visualize a, a, a um, these, these armies had just, um, they were Babylonian armies, they just, they, 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 they were having troubles down here because some of these people were raiding them when they were going and trading things into Sinai and stuff. And so the Babylonian armies got all ticked off. And so these five kings, one of which was Hammurabi, came down and uh, they're going to they're gonna solve the problem. They wipe out all these little, these four other places, and then they go into Sodom and Gomorrah and these cities of the Vale, and they wipe them out, and they take away the best that there is. They take the best-looking women, 
they take the all the gold and silver and anything that's beautiful, and then they take it, and 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 now they're on their way. So they they they're, they've left here, and they're going back up to that. And so they're at the on the east. They just says they're just east of Damascus, which I can't find up there. But anyway, they're just east of Damascus, Syria, on their way back up to Babylon places. And they're having a party, according to Josephus. These, they, they, they're, they're drunker and lords. And uh, so what are, they, what are they? They've taken all the booty, all the loot, and they've, they've probably made it into a big pile, is what they, it says they did in, in some other army things. And the best of it is on top of the pile because they don't want it squashed by the... The best of it is what Abraham gave tithes of. It's your best that you give the tithe. It's the first, the best. And that's what Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Well, there's also, it said, um, Abraham said to the king of Psalm, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord. Well, it lit, the uplifted hand was was the, the way of taking an oath in those days. A little later, the way of taking an oath or a contract between two, two people was uh, they grabbed each other by the gonads. And, and that's, that was the way of the contract. They didn't, they didn't sign a contract. That what it meant was, you better keep your part or I'll rip your balls out. I mean, that was the contract. But here, when Abraham made a contract, and it was still used for a long time, even up to the point lawyer. of Revelation. What? Better have a good lawyer. Yeah. But he, he lifted up his hand and he made the vow, or the oath. And Abraham, of this booty, Abraham even refused to accept a sandal strap because he was entitled to take all the goods, but he took nothing. He gave 10% for Melchizedek, and he gave a portion of the victor's portion to the Amorites. And the reason is, he always he took nothing for himself, and it's what happens after you understand the feeding of the bread and the wine. When you see Melchizedek, self is gone. When you see Christ, self is gone. Because as he said to the Levites, they didn't get any land. They didn't get anything. Because the Lord is your share. Okay, now... With the, in each one, I want you to see that each one of these small, apparently insignificant things was part of the test. But now, just as Christ was tested in the wilderness, Abraham was tested, and now he can be a father to the many nations. Now he can bear the child of the promise. He endured, was found faithful, because he accounted it as he he took nothing for himself. Everything was for others. He was a 
type of the first priest. He was the type of the first Christian. He was, I mean, he typified Jesus Christ. Now he's ready to be the Father. Okay, let's let's read some other stuff now. You know, Okay, the half Torah or the prophet reading for what we just finished is um, Isaiah 51. I, don't, I, mean, I didn't study that today, so I forgot what it's about. Hmm? Where are we going? Isaiah 51. One through seventeen. John? Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion, he will comfort all her waste places. And he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arms shall judge the people. The isle shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment. And they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Okay. Again, we have this thing. Remember, there's no future tense. This is look up to the heavens and the earth beneath. The heavens not shall but are vanishing away like smoke and the earth isn't going to, it is waxing old like a garment. Okay. Hearken unto me ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Stop a minute. The arm of the Lord, the word arm is Zeroah. And the reason arm is used as the indicator of strength is because, and the reason they say that, the word Zeroah in the Hebrew is the seed. It's awake, O seed of the Lord. And that's what he's calling forth, that the seed would awaken in you. That it would so, that that, that glory would fill your temple. 
Okay. Art thou not? No, art thou not? Yeah. Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Okay, stop there a minute. Rahab is a, is another simile for Egypt, and the dragon is a simile for the mind, the the Antichrist. So he's cut Egypt in half and has wounded the head of the dragon, or wounded that which is the promise back to Genesis three. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan, overcome the head. You, it's already been finished. Egypt is destroyed. The head of the dragon is overcome. Okay. Art thou not it which hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? Amen. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee away. There's, I, yeah. even I, am he that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldst be afraid of a man that shall die, and of the son of man which shall be made as grass? And forgettest the Lord thy maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and has feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? I mean, what he's calling for is, you dumbass, stop being afraid of anything. Okay. The captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed, and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God that divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, Hallelujah. and I have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heaven, and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling, and wrung them out. Amen. That's a good place to stop. Neat stuff. You see how all that's... I mean, it's the same story. Every scripture we go, it still reveals Christ in you, the hope of glory. Every scripture we go to in the Bible, it still reveals the purpose of you being here, the test, the being, not, not, not some crazy stuff in the world, you know, they speak of the world, the world heareth them, hereby know ye the spirit of God and the spirit of error.